up, you know. That's real talk, so I keep it real simple, real plain. Uh, Martin, welcome to Always Real Talk. Good to have you on the show, finally. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. It's good to see you again, too. Hey, I know. uh, With uh, one, corona going on, and and just two, with everything that's taking place, good to see you. Good to uh, hear that you and your family are, are well. Uh, doing this uh, this virus, uh, which is extremely, extremely important. Um, I want to jump right into it. Uh, you and your colleague, you did a phenomenal, st- I like the story, by the way, that you did on uh, Mayor Bowser. And uh, let me just start off by saying that, you know, some have say that she has captured uh, national attention. You know, I, I personally believe that she's kind of, she, she's earned it, right? I mean, I think that what she's done with a couple of number of different things, one, uh, being uh, the fact that uh, you're standing up to the most powerful person on the earth uh, and, and, and basically slapping them right in the face, which I haven't seen uh, anyone uh, do other than one other mayor uh, that actually did it and still got a lot out of it. Um, but she's done that, too. She's been recognized and been on CNN in terms of the, the town hall meeting with four, three other mayors. Uh, four, she's led the charge. I mean, Black Lives Matter is being painted everywhere on every street in every city. Small little town has Black Lives Matter paint on it. And it all came from Mayor Mira Bowser kicking that off and having the guts, the kahunas to, to make that happen. And then lastly, statehood. You know, she played a role, as, as so many other people did, in terms of getting, for the first time, the bill passed in Congress to give D.C. Uh, a full representation and actually becoming a state. And that's, that's huge. Now, where it goes from here... Is a different story, but that's a big step. So all those, if you're a mayor of a major city and you've done that, you kudos, you get that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to jump right into uh, what you thought, what you found, what you and your colleague found. Uh, people are saying now about where things are uh, in the District of Columbia. Well, you can obviously tell, and you know that she got a ton of attention for the Black Lives Matter painting on 16th Street, just north of the White House. You know, it's two blocks long. It's 40 foot tall letters. It's really provocative. Um, It's poking Trump in the eye. I mean, very close to where he lives. So she got a lot of attention for it and um, a lot of national attention. People saying this is a mayor really taking a big step to to make a point. But then a lot of local folks, uh, people who are protesting, people who are just residents of the district, came down to to what is now Black Lives uh, Matters Plaza and said, listen, this is great and good, but does it really meet? what is happening here in the city? Like, do, do black lives matter in the District of Columbia? So there's been a lot of debate in the last couple of weeks over policies that the mayor has supported, has introduced everything from how she's done on funding schools to how she's done with the police department. Is her choice of Chief Newsham was that, does that, you know, kind of, does that show that she cares about black lives, about good community policing, or does she just, is she sticking to a kind of an older school model of policing? that people are now protesting. So I think it's been an interesting debate to see because I think there's a lot of value to the idea that people are saying, listen, for as much as you paint Black Lives Matter on a street, that's great and good, but if you're not living up to it with how you spend money through the budget or the policies you implement or the people you appoint, then this is just essentially performance art. But then there's other folks that make the, the broader argument that, listen, she took a step, she gave a massive platform to this movement that has been around for a couple of years, but is now, you know, it's, it's a household name and she should get credit for that. And she should get credit because she's now being in, being invited onto the CNNs of the world, onto national TV stations to talk about not just Black Lives Matters, but also about statehood. 
So essentially, she's leveraging the attention she's getting for the, the painting on the street to talk about statehood, which is an issue that every mayor has, has found important and wanted to pursue. But she's gotten further with this House vote that happened last week. So again, I think, you know, there's criticism to be had, but there's also people saying she's she's leveraged it for a good cause. Right. And I want to go to the, the criticism, right? Because I mean, if you're a mayor of any city, there's always going to be criticism, right? It just, you know, uh, I got that. Um, but specifically when it comes to the criticism, it looks like the, the, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big argument about defunding the police and what that means, right? The mayor sent down a budget that had an increase in the budget for police. Uh, those who want to defund the police entirely uh, are not happy about it. And that seems to be the most vocal part uh, of the story when it came to the opposition. Is, did I miss something? No, that, I think that's fair to say. I mean, the majority of the people who've been protesting are very strongly now in favor of defunding the police, whether that means essentially dismantling the police department or just taking money away from police and directing it to schools, to mental health services. You know, obviously there's different degrees of what defend the, defund the police means, but generally speaking, folks who are critical of the mayor say she says that black lives matter, but that she spends a lot of money on, on, the, on the police department. Now, again, let's, we, we should be fair. And I know you, you were an elected official. I've covered God knows how many ANC meetings. Every time you go to a civic association meeting, you get neighbors who say, we don't see enough police here. Like police don't come right. when we come. So there's still, there's still I, th I think there is a, an important debate to be had internally in the city about how policing happens for sure. But then also there are communities and there, these are communities of color. I live in Ward 5, Michigan Park, historically black neighborhood. And my neighbors, not that they, they could disagree with how policing happens, but more often than not, they say, listen, when crime happens, we feel like we don't see the police around or they show up too slowly or that sort of stuff. So, so I think, you know, the defund the police thing, it's certainly the loudest argument right now, but it's not the only argument, obviously. You know, it's interesting you say that because you know, no matter where you, I don't know people who say they don't want more police. Like when I say more, they want effective police. And I think that's the argument. People say defund, I've met very few people, once again, except my 18-year-old daughter, who just wants to defund all of the, all of the police. Um, people are very concerned, like uh, very concerned with uh, their ability to make sure that the police that are out on the street are effective, responsive, and respectful. Is that what you kind of get? Yeah, and this actually has come up recently in the debates over the budget for the police. Last week, uh, Charles Allen, council member from Ward 6, uh, unveiled kind of his his budget uh, for the police department, his changes to Mayor Bowser's budget. He wants to cut about $30 million out of what the, the, the mayor wanted to put in. Um, but one thing he did not do, he didn't want to expand the NPD cadet program. And that that's bringing local D.C. folks and and giving them a chance to become police officers, get an education in the process. I mean, this is really a way to get local people into, into the department. And that actually got a lot of pushback on the council. I mean, uh, council member Gray, council member Tran White, council member Mary Che, uh, council member Brandon Todd, they all said, listen, for whatever concerns we have about how policing happens and the problems with policing sometimes, this is actually a good program because it, it takes local DC kids and young adults and kind of, and, and gives them a professional opportunity. And the argument being that it's, if you're gonna have police officers it's better to have police officers who were raised here, who know the streets, who know the neighborhoods, who know the, re the residents. Um, so I think, again, the debate is, certainly isn't over yet. Um, 
And I think there is a little bit of push from people who say, listen, we can argue that, yes, police violence, obviously bad, police brutality, bad. But we also want to make sure that the police we have are good at what they do. No, I, I think you hit it hit it on the nose. I mean, I start to look at the, first of all, the cadet program. It's just, I don't even understand how we can be talking about cutting money from the cadet program. Let's just start there, right? I mean, if in fact you want to hire more local residents to become police officers, the community, if you talk to no matter where you go, people like community policing, like people who understand the city, like people that may have uh, grew up here, people that actually live here, becoming police officers, they, they feel as though they're, and that's a national debate, right? No matter what city you go to, that's what they're talking about. And for the, the council to be talking about not funding the cadet program is, and quite frankly, in my mind, it's just, it's the, it's the most silliest thing I've ever seen. I don't even know why we're even arguing, I don't even know why we're debating that, right? That shouldn't even be a debate. But no, that's, that's neither here nor there. Um, I want to get back to you, your story kind of covered Ward 7 and Ward 8, and you talked about what some of the residents were saying. And I think you guys laid out, uh, walk us through, because I think it was a couple quotes, one from a, a, a young man who uh, basically said, hey, you know, we want to see more police. I mean, the Washington poll, which you laid out in your story, uh, they had a poll. What did that poll say? And what did that poll say about those folks living in Ward 7? I mean, generally speaking, I think that the concerns over crime, ever, all the polling that's done in the district, crime is not the number one issue anymore. I think schools has kind of taken over, but crime is always in the top three. I mean, it's schools, affordable housing, crime. That's generally where it is. And concerns about crime and violence are, are obviously higher in wards five, seven, and eight, being that those are the places where the majority of the violent crime has unfortunately happened. And especially homicides, generally speaking, are in much higher prevalence in wards seven and eight and five. So I think there are very obvious concerns there. Now, the flip side, there's always people who are going to say, and they do say, that more police don't stop homicides. And there's an argument to be made there that cops themselves aren't going to, they can't prevent homicides because they don't see them coming necessarily. And that's where you have violence interrupters that can do the work and social workers and that sort of thing to kind of address the root causes. But still, that's a complicated argument. And some people still feel safer knowing that there are police around to investigate crime when it does happen. Well, I mean, I think that no matter where you go, uh, you know, I, you live in Ward 5, I, I live in Ward 7, and um, I talk to my neighbors, I'm, you know, at the couple of places there are the shop, actually, in Ward 7, you know, hopefully we could change that. But as I talk to folks, no one is saying we don't want to see the police, right? When someone's breaking in your house or, or you, have, you need to call 911, you actually want to see the police. No one is saying, well, I, you know, I want to call. What happened? Well, we cut them because nobody... No one's telling me that. I don't care who you talk to. No one is saying that, right? What they're saying is that we want to see police. We want them to be visible, but we want them to be respectful. We want them to actually, you know, respect black lives. We want them not to kill us when they, you know, driving down the street or you pull me over. You know, I don't want to die because we have bad police officers in my neighborhood, right? What we want is more police, but we want them to be more effective, more efficient, and more community-based. Right. I, I, that's that's what I'm hearing. Right. And to me, that's real talk. Some people don't want to say that. Oh, people protest. We want to defund the police, defund. the. I don't know where these people. Where are they? Like, I want to see them. I don't see them at my grocery store. I don't see them when I go shopping. I don't see them at my restaurant. I don't see them in my bars saying, yeah, let's defund the police. I can't find them. Right. They're there. CNN shows them to me. Right. All these national outlets show them to me. But I haven't really quite ran into Another one. And I'm, you know, on 8th Street, so I'm here all the time. 
and it's a lot of progressives all over H Street, and no one's saying, hey, man, I think you need to do a show about getting rid of all the police officers. That's not what they're saying at 12.30 in the morning, at 1 o'clock in the morning down H Street. What they want to see is visible, respectful, you know, care about black lives, police officers <laughs> protecting them. So I, I want to go, because your report and your story laid out, uh, and it mentioned the Washington Poll in, in 2019, how Ward 7 residents in that poll said that crime was, was the number one issue, right? And it didn't say anything about getting rid of police officers. So I know the mayor has a, a balance of how to figure that out, but I don't just think it's the mayor's responsibility. I think it's everyone's responsibility, and, and this is a national issue. When you talk about Democrats, whether you're progressive or not, and you ask them the definition of defund police, you'll get a, a number of different answers, right? Um, you have some in the media just use the defund the police because it's just hot and everyone's watching it and, you know, it's just exciting and the ratings are great. But then when you talk to, you know, other folks, they think defunding the police is having accountability within every police department that respects the lives of every American. And I think that's where it comes in. If you, if you watch the conservatives, they say, oh, you want to get rid of police. No one loves the police. They're trying to, you know, have more crime. And it's like, it's, it's a fad in America. I think we need to be, uh, that's why I like your story, because I think it brought out both sides of which you and your colleague laid out, laid out there. Um, when you are talking to folks now, because you cover the city and you have for a while and you do, you do a good job, we can argue about a couple of things that you know, I didn't like, but we will go there later. But what are people saying, just the everyday people now, as it relates to what's going on I know they want, no one's talking about getting rid of the cadet program. I haven't heard anyone say, let's get rid of that cadet program, right? Have you heard anyone say that? I have not. I mean, I haven't talked to everybody in the city, obviously, but like, but no. You talk, I mean, to, you talk to enough people. I mean, you're a reporter, right? So you talk to enough people. The majority of the people you talk to want to get rid of the cadet program? Again, I, I, I don't think that's the, I don't think they do. Now, to be honest, when I tell them about the cadet program, they may, it might be the first time they hear about it. The idea, I think, is attractive to most people of taking local folks and making them look local police officers instead of having, you know, a police officer who lives in Pennsylvania and drives into the city, you know, once a week or twice a week for a job. Yeah, well, I think, I think it's important that we define the cadet program is the same all over the country, right? Every single municipality, every single city has a cadet program. It's nothing new. It's not something that somebody cooked up in the District of Columbia. And then people say, we, why do we do this, right? Everyone has a cadet program. How we define that cadet program is different in different areas, right? For so long in D.C., we went out and we just recruited people outside of the D.C. to become a police officer. And we spent very little time trying to recruit people to actually live in the District of Columbia to become a police officer, right? And then Charles Ramsey at the time, everyone said you had to have a two-year college degree, I mean, two years of college in order to be a police officer. Then we said, okay, great. Some of us disagree with that, but okay, great. But let's just make sure we offer it and we promote it to people that actually live here. And I think that's the argument that gets a little mixed messages, and people don't want to talk about it because it's, it's you know, it's, it's not something that's uh, uh, warm and fuzzy, right? The warm and fuzzy part is that if you live here, we would like you to be at a police department. We have a cadet program, and we're going to get preferences for people who actually live here if you want to be a police officer and you meet all the qualifications. I just don't see how people can be opposed to that. What are you hearing about uh, the, the vote now within the budget itself for Metropolitan Police? For the police department, I think the biggest pushback, if, if, if anything gets changed out of what uh, Councilmember Allen wants to do with the budget, which is, again, he wants to trim what Mayor Bowser was proposing, I would say the cadet program gets its money back. 
And I only say that because just in the debate that they had this week, um, their budget council session, um, the, 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 the kind of meeting where they hash out the changes that they're proposing, you could tell the chairman Mendelssohn was listening to all the council members. He see, he knows where, he knows where the votes are going to be. And just from that discussion, there were four votes that would probably restore the funding to make sure that the cadet program can expand the way the mayor wants it to. The way council member Allen just wants to keep it right now at hundred cadets a year. I think the mayor wants to ex- expand it to 150. So basically I would say that could be one place. I think the rest of the budget, I think it sounded like most council members were okay with what uh, council member Allen was proposing. Um, and again, he wasn't making, he wasn't, and this angered some activists, like he, he wasn't defunding the police in a big way. It wasn't like a hundred million dollars is being cut out of its budget right away and they're going to fire 200 officers. Um, that's clearly something that he wasn't going to do and probably couldn't do in just one budget cycle. Um, so again, he's probably hearing it from both sides. Right, right. I, I, probably so. I mean, he's caught, look, everyone's caught in this, um, in this bubble, right? Because people want to be seen as, oh, yeah, we're with all the people protesting about defund the police. And at the same time, they have residents that actually vote that are not telling them that you better defund the police and we don't want to see more police in our neighborhoods, right? And then you have a mayor who is, has done a phenomenal job and she's trying to balance the two because she wants to protect her residents. And at the same time, you know, you have Black Lives Matter and if I don't do it, then they're going to be protesting against me. And, well, you know, this is what you get elected for, right? You get elected to make tough decisions. And sometimes those decisions, you know, aren't going to please everyone. But I see, you know, it's coming down to what the mayor actually sent down, maybe a little tweak here or there. But mm-hmm. the cadet program, uh, you know, should be, you know, not cut at all. I want to move on to just something, uh, WMATA. Um, have you followed or been following uh, WMATA and their police? I mean, clearly they are one of the most... They're a culprit in all of this. They are one of the worst in terms of discriminating against young black uh, kids in the city. They've been on record for what they do. And it seems to me that no one is focusing on it. Um, I, I want to say, you know, I, I did a tweet, right? I did this tweet uh, with Charles Allen uh, because I was very, very frustrated. And I apologize to Charles because I probably should have called him first. That's the right thing to do. You call him and you say, hey, look, this is how I feel. Uh, before I do a tweet, but this tweet is personal to me, right? Because uh, my family has experienced the WMATA police, you know, be very discriminate, basically racist, right? And I did a show, and you'll see it right here. This case, I think, is going to has has opened up this can of worms that has to be addressed by the compact that talked about the same thing, where people were being brutalized. The lady was getting off the bus, next thing you know, it's an incident, and the police come and they beat her up, right? And when you try to sue them, you can't, right? Because they got immunity. So we're talking about, you know, taking away immunity for MPD and the rest of the police departments all over the country, but no one has talked about WMATA and how racist they have been how, you know, how they've been reportedly racist they've been, and the, the city council hasn't done anything because it's a jurisdiction thing, right? It's Maryland, D.C., and Virginia, and everyone has to make this decision. And why do you think that they've just stayed away from this situation with WMATA? I mean, probably the complexity, like you just said, it's a multi-jurisdictional police force, so kind of the D.C. council can only do so much. But I will say that I think it was council member Robert White has proposed... And I think he wants to work it into the budget. I don't know if it'll get it'll get it'll make it in. 
he wants to create a basically a civilian oversight board of sorts for Metro Police, um, so that these complaints can be investigated by someone, by someone else, by someone that's not just the police department itself. Now he brought it up this week, and I think there was concern over whether whether the DC Council can even do this. Like if they put it into law, it doesn't just become law because again, WMATA as a whole would have to all the jurisdictions would have to sign on to it. But I think there has been a recognition that Metro Police is. Like a lot of other police departments, I mean, you got the Park Police, Secret, uh, Secret Service, Capitol Police. I mean, you got any number of police departments in the district that are controlled or accountable to D.C. residents or D.C. officials or the mayor. And I think what's been happening over the last couple of weeks is, shine, is shining some pretty bright light on that fact that the Park Police can beat up protesters and the city has no recourse. Metro Police can um, do things that are you know, discriminatory and there's not really any recourse for the people who suffer that. Um, right. So. Okay. Yeah. And, and I got and I got and I got, and I got that right. But I want to stick with Wamada because they you can talk to all the schools, uh, DCPS schools, and they'll tell you. You talk to parents, and they'll tell you these are the worst. They're the worst, and we fund them, right? We fund them. So you know, I want to get because people say, "What is the solution?" We talk about the problem. It's it's real easy, right? You say to yourself, "We're not gonna. Our money is contingent upon making this happen," right? And that is to say, you're not going to be able to discriminate. You're not going to be able to beat up our residents. You're not going to be able to lock up our kids for no reason because you think they're disrespectful. Then you get to take them down to the police station and put them in handcuffs. We're not going to allow that. We're not going to fund you to be able to do that. So until you change this, and now everyone says Black Lives Matter, right? Well, Black Lives Matter, blah, blah, blah. Well, we're going to make, we just, let's put, everyone is saying we want to do all this. Maryland is saying, oh, my goodness, we got to do better. This is a great time to change the compact. And in order to do that, and how you can do it as a legislator, is you legislate to fund the money going to WMATA, see, that they're going to have to change this policy, and you be a leader, and you make Maryland and Virginia fall in place. Because many African-American, black, and Hispanic families have been asking for this. And the only thing we're getting from our legislators is, oh, we can't do that because they're a compact. And we can't. No, yes, you can. You give them money. You attach it to the money. And then let's play games. Let's see what's going on now, right? That's how you do it. That's got to bring a solution, right? Got to bring a solution to the table. That's my solution uh, to the table. They can take it a lot, but this is always real talk. This is this is what we do. Um, let me move on to talk about something that uh, you spend time doing, and that is covering uh, local politics in the District of Columbia. We have an. It seems to me that the hottest race is the at-large race. Uh, in the District of Columbia where I, I, I stopped counting. I, I mean, I, I think there was 15, 16, 17, 18, I don't know how many people. Like, everyone's running to be that large council member in the District of Columbia as a independent, as a progressive Democrat, as whatever. Anything that, you know, is a moderate Democrat, I don't They're just making it up these days, right? So what are you hearing on the streets? I think, well, I think we're up to 22 candidates, if I'm not mistaken. I think this week we got to 22. Um, so yeah, it's like you said, it's, it's David Grosso. See, he's an independent, independent Democrat. Um, he opened, he, he, he's deciding not to run again. So it opens up a seat, which would normally attract any number of candidates, but this time you add that to the public financing so that there's a lot more money available for first time candidates to be eligible, to be viable. And it just means you have a lot of people who think that they can do this. And you have the whole range. You have really progressive sorts of folks who have run before, like Ed Lazier, who ran against Chairman Mendelssohn during the last cycle and did, did somewhat well. He got 35% of the vote on a first try. 
you got him, you got Will Merrifield, which is Ward 7 resident, used to be an attorney focusing on housing issues, really good on housing, um, all the way to now you've got uh, former council member Vincent Orange, um, who just left the Chamber of Commerce job, and he wants to run kind of more as the business-friendly candidate. I think what people are now saying, it's like, and again, this is just people talking, it could be an orange Lazier thing, like you have a business candidate versus a progressive candidate, both of which have name recognition right now. Who, who did you say? Uh, council member Orange, former council member Orange versus Ed Lazier, like the two oh, of them. Okay, could, okay, okay. yeah, the, I, I, don't, I don't know him. But let me go and talk about, because um, I think that guy just runs for everything. Doesn't matter what it is, he's gonna run for it, right? It's a dog catcher, he's gonna run for a dog catcher, he's just gonna run. So let's talk about serious candidates who actually have a chance of winning. Ed Lazier has clearly ran before, and he's you know been out there. He's been knocking. He's, I see his signs. Like I see Ed Lazier's signs. I like the color blue, so I look up and I see these blue signs, and inside is white, and it's Ed Lazier. So I see Ed Lazier out there. I see Marcus Goodwin out there. I see um, uh, Marcus Bachelor out there. I see. Uh, I'm just trying to think of people who I actually see that's been out there campaigning, right? Because I just see him. I don't, I don't pay too much attention, but you see signs. You see people ask you questions. Those, Marcus has run before, Edler's run before. Um, there's a lot of people who voted for Anita who said, then I'm gonna vote for, for Marcus Goodwin. There's some people say, well, and then you mentioned affordable housing. Why has, let me ask you a question, why has so many progressives jumped into the race? You normally, you know, would have that consolidated where people, you know, are interested in, in winning because they have an agenda. And it kind of, it's not 22 people, it's not 10 people that, that do that. It's, it's normally one. Why do you think that everyone is jumping in and they haven't figured out how to narrow that field so they can meet their objective is which getting a progressive candidate on the council? I mean, Kwame, I don't know if, you, if you've ever tried to organize a bunch of progressives and try to pick just one of them to be a leader, that's, that's a pretty tough, tough uh, task. You know, I think they're just, they all think they bring qualities that would make them good council members, whether they're, pro how, no matter how progressive or not they are. I know some are focusing more on, on specific issues. I mean, you've got Christina Henderson, who used to be a staffer for Grasso. She is right. strong, right. mm -hmm. strong in education. Marcus Bachelor is going to be really good on education because he's on the State Board of Education. You know, Marcus Goodwin could be very good on, on just business development and, and cultivating businesses. So I think everybody has thinks that they bring what it takes to be a good council member at this moment. Now, again, when you have 22, let's say 22 candidates don't make the ballot. Let's say it's 15 or 16. But still, I mean, dividing up the vote between 15 or 16 people, that means you could win with, what, 8, 9, 10% of the vote? I mean, it's, I think that's the thing. The bigger the field gets, the better chance that a small candidate has to win. Like in War Two, when Brooke Pinto won with, you know, she surprised everybody and she ended up winning. She's now the new council member for War Two um, because the vote was split between eight or nine candidates. Well, wow. I mean, that means uh, then uh, you could run. You could run and you could win. Right. Uh, you can run. You can win. I mean, I can run. I can win. I mean, you only need five percent to do it. Right. I mean, because all those people in the, in the race. But I, I do think that where we are with the city and you've, you've been reporting the city. I'd like to get your insight on this. Where we are in the city is it's at a crossroad where there, there seems to be people who still want to have um, some. And I don't want to say progressive because people just throw that word out there. Right. It's progressive, progressive. Right. People still want to have a, a, a lefty part of the Democratic Party, but they also still want some stability in terms of, you know, jobs and uh, businesses to continue to, to thrive. And when I say businesses, I mean, you know, local businesses and small businesses 
and they still want them. You talk to, you know, whether it's the great streets and you go down and talk to any restaurants or small business owners, you know, they, they're tired of being nickeled and dimed to death too, right? It's, it's, it, they want someone who's going to bring some balance uh, to that while still bringing the necessary, you know, care for those that, that, that are needed from affordable housing and so forth and so on. Education is tough, right? You run on education. I don't care who you are running on education. Everyone's been trying to change education. And the most change that's ever taken place is when, you know, you basically had uh, the mayor take control of the schools. That was really it, right? And when you do that, there's some oversight. But you and I know in terms of developing real stuff, it, it just doesn't materialize, right? Um, people are talking about education, but they really want the chancellor. They really want to see those test results come in. And that's a board of education. That's a, a deputy mayor for education. That's a chancellor's job to kind of make that happen. The council is just in the money business, right? And some of the legislative stuff, but you and I know that when you start playing around with the legislative piece of education, it gets a little fuzzy, right? Uh, people aren't interested in, in, in that. I have two kids that graduate from D.C. public schools, right? And I'm just telling you right now, even I'm like, whoa, hold up here. You know, people just make up stuff, right? They just sit and say, oh, I need to introduce a piece of legislation. And they just, just find something, they read something in the paper, and then they introduce this legislation. And they say it's going to work. You have to give it three years to work. And then come three years, it don't work. And they say, oh, man, I made a mistake. And then they try to introduce something else to correct that. But you and I know you have a little one, right? You don't, have to, you don't want to experiment on your kid. You want to make sure there's something that's going to give your child a quality education so they can read, write, and abstract. So um, what's your prediction now, given all the candidates you, you, that you have in the race? What is, what is your thoughts today? So I, again, I'll predict now, and you can bring me on back on in late November so I can correct myself, but um, I'll say this. I do think Ed Lazier is probably top right now, only because, again, when he ran against Mendelssohn, he developed a, a citywide name. Now, that doesn't mean he did well all over the city, which is important, but at the same time, he has something of a base. And, you know, Alyssa Silverman, who's now on the council, same thing. She lost her first time. She won the second time. She knew, And people knew her from her first run, and she had a base of progressive support, and that's what did it. Um, so I think Ed Lazier is a real contender. Um, but again, the, the issue is there's a lot of contenders, and there's a lot of time between now and November. So who knows what could happen. Right. It'd be interesting to see if the city still has enough money to fund all these people. Imagine if everyone raises the money they're supposed to. And they, right, and they all take public public financing. So now, you know, you and I, we have to pay for someone that we don't even know. I mean, it's 22 people running, right? I mean, I, and we're paying for these people to actually run, right? I, I like some of the public financing, but some of it's kind of silly, right? You have people that are running and they have no real intention to really get out there. They're probably just going to throw some barbecues, right? You throw a barbecue, I throw a barbecue, and we'll keep promoting ourselves and say we're going to run, and then we got to pay for it. So I, I would hope that as we start to uh, look at public finance and we look at it a way that's, that's real, that makes, because money's tight right now. People forget that, you know, because we have a large reserve, we don't feel it like other places are feeling it, but we will feel it, right? And I think that everyone knows that we're going to feel the pinch. And when that takes place, then we're going to start to look at all this different stuff. Because we can't, the tickets can't go up so much. The meters can't go up so much. I mean, my water bill can't increase but so much. I mean, people are going to die if they have to get, you know, a $400 ticket now for going five miles over the speed limit, right? You can't nickel and dime people to, to death. You really have to find a way to, you know, trim some of this or reallocate some of this so people can have a better quality of life for here in the District of Columbia. So, hey, look. I heard you loud and clear. You think, you know, uh, Ed Lazier seems to be, you know, 
what people are talking about now, along with uh, Marcus Goodwin and also, uh, always forget her name, but she worked for David Grosso. Um, Christine. Christine. Christine, right? Yeah. Yeah, Christine. I'm sorry, Christine. Hey, Christine, we're going to get Christine on the show anyway. We'll have them all on the show. Matter of fact, you should join us on the show with us, too. We plan to have every candidate on to talk to them about their issues and what they care about and what their concerns are. I want to thank Ed Lazier because he's, he's been on the show. Uh, he's been on the show twice. I mean, we talked about the budget, of course, because, you know, he's, he's a budget guy. So we always have good conversations about the money and because the government is about the allocation of resources. So, hey, Martin, thank you. I'd love to get you back, man. Really uh, enjoyed your column. Love to get you back on the show, talk about more things that's going on. Absolutely. I'll be back on Real Talk when you have me. Uh, until next time, if it's always Real Talk, you know it's going to be real.